Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for taking time to join us for Texas Ag Today. Well, we continue our coverage on all of the rain that we've been seeing in the Texas coastal bend. Farmers there are grappling with a lot of rainfall at a very bad time, right in the middle of sorghum harvest and right as they're getting corn harvest underway. We'll have more on that coming up on today's show. My name's Carrie Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Exports of U.S. beef are on the rise, and that's true even though COVID continues to be a major issue in some key Asian markets. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. It's a mixed bag for the 2021 Texas pecan crop. Meanwhile, the 100th Annual Pecan Growers Conference and Trade Show begins July 18th. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the story on Texas Ag Today. As temperatures continue to climb across the state and the chances of rainfall seem to be weakening, it's important to consider the effect this will have on any herbicide applications. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Farmers in the Texas Coastal Bend are grappling with the consequences of more big rainfall. Jessica Domel has the story. After receiving between 4 and 14 inches of rain over the past few weeks, it's been a mixed bag for crops in the coastal bend. Grain sorghum harvest is on hold for most as the fields are too wet for farmers without tracks on their combines. As for the cotton, Scott Fraser, an Oasis County farmer and rancher, says the condition depends on where you are. The cotton that's set in water the last month or so, that still looks pretty tough. The fields have, you know, maybe drain a little better or more on hills. That cotton looks really good for the most part, but the cotton's still blooming and trying to make cotton. And I'm not sure where, <laughs> at what point we, uh, we try to cut it off and take what we got. Normally, uh, we're harvesting the last few days of July and first half of August. And right now, a lot of this cotton, just talking to my bug band a few minutes ago, looks like we're probably closer to end of August, maybe even the first week or so of September at this point. So our crop's certainly gotten behind, but it's still cotton-wise, for the most part, it looks encouraging. It's not just the rain that's impacting crops. Fraser says it's the lack of heat units the cotton really needs that is delaying the growth of the plants. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Texas Department of Agriculture unveiled a newly renovated livestock export facility in Del Rio this week. TDA has five livestock export facilities located across the state that serve as gateways for exporting livestock from Texas. Each facility provides livestock buyers and sellers with a location on the Texas border where animals can be held until inspection and export requirements are completed. Good news for Texas High Plains beef producers. 
exports of U.S. beef are on the rise. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Exports of U.S. beef are looking really good right now, especially in terms of dollar value. According to USMEF, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, May was the third consecutive month where U.S. beef exports achieved record levels for value, and Joe Sheely of USMEF says we're in what could be a banner year. If demand continues to be strong, we feel like we can set a new record for beef, breaking the records we set in 2018. If the May results were any indication where we went over $900 million for the first time, we feel like we could break that record by a comfortable margin. The volume of U.S. beef exports this year at almost 590,000 metric tons through May is running 15% ahead of last year's pace on a year-to-date basis. The recovering global economy and reduced tariff rates in Japan are helping boost beef exports, but Sheely says COVID restrictions in Asia remain an issue. While we've put most of those types of restrictions in the rearview mirror here in the United States, they still very much exist in other key markets. In fact, in some markets where they really didn't exist in 2020, Taiwan, for example, has had major restrictions on dine-in restaurant service uh, since mid-May, and they really didn't deal with any of that in 2020. They just didn't have the caseload. And so we've seen sort of a backpedaling there on COVID restrictions. And so that's a concern for us, particularly on the beef side, which is more impacted by sit-down dining. So yes, there are some concerns, as there always are, but for right now, U.S. beef exports are doing very well overall. In our next report, we look at the pork side, where things are also encouraging. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The outlook for the 2021 Texas pecan crop is mixed, depending on where you're at in the state. Tom Nicoletti takes a closer look. Texas is one of the few states where pecans are indigenous, with generational pecan growers across various regions of the state. Many of those producers received heavy rainfall in 2021. To find out more about how that uh, rain will impact the outlook for the crop uh, later this season, we go to College Station, and Monty Nesbitt is our guest. He is with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. He is Program Specialist for Fruit and Nut Crops. And Monty, what is the outlook for the Texas pecan crop at this point? The outlook for the Texas pecan crop is mixed. It depends on where you are. Far west part of the state, El Paso region, has what they're describing as an off year, which means lower production than what can be produced on a per acre basis. That area is probably the most important area for pecan production in Texas. But we have extensive production from the Red River, Oklahoma border, all the way down into South Texas. It's mixed across this remaining area of Texas, Central Texas, East Texas, South Texas. really depends on what orchard you're in, the age of the trees, the varieties. It can go from really light to fairly heavy in some cases. So it's a moderate outlook, I think, generally across the state with lighter production in our far west region. So the rainfall, which is such a blessing from the standpoint of root moisture and growing the trees and filling out the nuts, it's a win on that side. But there are challenges with the frequency of precipitation and what it does with plant diseases. Now, upcoming next week, Monty, is the 100th annual Texas Pecan Growers Conference and Trade Show in San Marcos. It'll be uh, July 18th through the 21st, and you will be attending that 
that conference and uh, what will be your role and uh, what's the importance of uh, that gathering? Well, this is a 100th anniversary event, and it brings the Congress together for education, for networking. It's one of the best equipment, pecan equipment, trade shows in the in the world. And so there's opportunities for a person who wants to get a feel for what pecan production is like to come get some exposure to that, as well as for very experienced growers to get what they need in terms of latest information, market outlook, and equipment availability. Those comments from Monty Nesbitt. He is a program specialist for fruit and nut crops with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. As temperatures continue to climb across Texas, it's important to consider what effect those higher temperatures will have on herbicide applications on pastures. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson explains. Treating weeds or brush with a leaf spray application when temperatures are as high as they have been lately can result in poor control for several reasons. Plants likely have slowed down their growth and will not move the herbicide down to the roots to control the plant as readily during this time. Additionally, insect damage during this time of year also decreases the amount of leaf available to take in the herbicide. Finally, hot temperatures make leaves waxier, a trait used by plants to retain moisture, but will decrease the herbicide's ability to get into the leaf. If you find yourself willing to break the heat, What herbicide applications could you do during these hot months? Broadcast applications may be done most any time during the year. Herbicides generally are most effective when applied to vigorously growing plants at 70 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Most herbicide labels caution against treatment of plants growing under extreme environmental conditions or stress. Stem sprays involve spraying each stem of a woody plant all the way around about 12 to 18 inches high. Plants must be left alone for one full year before removing the skeleton. Another treatment is the cut stump method. While this method requires more labor up front, it is essentially 100% effective if done correctly. The tree should be removed as low and flat as possible without any dirt left on the remaining cut surface. The herbicide mixture is applied to the cut surface promptly after cutting. This treatment can be done any time of year, so keep in mind that December may provide more favorable weather for those doing the cutting. When spraying with high temperatures, time your applications for early in the morning when temperatures are cooler. Never spray when temperatures exceed 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Some herbicides are especially susceptible to volatilization, so care should be taken to protect desirable plants from accidental movement of the herbicide. Be sure to drink lots of water and take frequent breaks. No weed is worth risking your health. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in East Texas for Texas Ag Today. The number of diseases connected to ticks is on the rise. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And a common practice in the horse industry meant to strengthen the bones of older horses may actually lead to a breakdown of bones in younger horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. 
Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A common practice in the horse industry meant to strengthen the bones of older horses may actually lead to a breakdown of bones in younger horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. A group of animal scientists and veterinarians at Texas A&M and Michigan State are looking at the effect of biphosphonates in young horses. This drug is not approved in young horses, but it is being used to potentially enhance bone formation and hide skeletal disease on x-ray studies. Biphosphonates are used to treat osteoporosis in humans and animals, but use of the drug is off-label in young horses and attempts to promote early bone maturation and mask potential flaws noted on x-rays can eventually lead to bone failure due to lack of appropriate remodeling. Biphosphonate use in young exercising horses under the age of four could increase the risk of death in horses and the humans riding them. And testing for these biphosphonates is also difficult due to most of the drug being in the bone and rapid clearance from the circulation. The controversy is becoming more widespread due to increased number of breakdowns of racehorses. The drug decreases the function of a cell called the osteoclast, which is necessary for normal bone development. By inhibiting this function by this drug, the bone may be less healthy due to lack of remodeling. Dr. Jessica Leatherwood from Texas A&M indicated that biphosphonates have been marketed in young horses other than racehorses, and we need to know if these drugs are dangerous or not. Sheep are also being used in the study because sheep are normally processed at two years of age, and so the effects are easier to study in sheep than horses. She believes her study can be used as the basis for future regulations of the use of biphosphonates in horses. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The number of diseases connected to ticks is on the rise. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. If you plan on hiking or spending some time outdoors this summer, be sure to take precautions to avoid ticks. Lee Townsend, an emeritus professor at the University of Kentucky and an extension entomologist, says this is important because the number of diseases connected to ticks has more than doubled over the past 15 years. Ticks are almost a soup of pathogens and microbes in them that can cause problems both for humans and animals. USDA's Gary Crawford names a few of the diseases that can be carried by ticks. There's Lyme disease, of course, but you've got anaplasmosis, babesiosis, borrelia, bourbon virus, Colorado tick fever, ehrlichiosis, heartland virus, poisson disease, relapsing fever. Townsend says, fortunately, symptoms for many of the diseases ticks may carry are often mild and they can resemble a summer cold. In many cases, we may have been exposed to a tick-borne disease, not really had a serious uh, impact from it. Some diseases carried by ticks can lead to death or paralysis. There are several types of ticks in Texas, many of which are active during the summer months. To avoid them, wear light-colored, full-length clothing whenever possible and cover exposed surfaces with deep repellent when you're in an area where ticks are most likely to be, including woody or grassy areas. Perform frequent and thorough examinations of all clothing and exposed skin for crawling or attached ticks. 
those tips and others available on the Texas A&M Tick app. You can find that on your phone's app store or at tickapp.tamu.edu. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a lower trade in the cattle market on Friday, but the cotton market moved higher, breaking above 90 cents again on the nearby contract. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market wrapped up the week on a lower note Friday. We ended lower in both live and feeder cattle futures. August live cattle down 95 cents at 120.17. The October down 92, 125.60. December live cattle down 47 cents at 131.32. Feeder cattle finishing lower. August down $1.75, 155.62. September feeders down 72 cents, 158.50. The October down 72. At 160.47. Cash fed cattle trade wrapping up the week with a big range in prices. Here in the South, we saw a range of 117 to 122 for fed cattle, most of our cattle selling at 120. Up north, the price jumps higher. 123 to 126 was the range, most of those cattle selling at 125. Boxed beef prices lower on Friday. Choice down 224 at 267.63. Select down 43 cents, 252.05. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear auctioneer Troy sound off, it's time to head to Seguin in the Guadalupe Valley. Talk to Cousin Brian Litzman. Cousin Brian, how'd you sell them out there on 46 North? The sale was fantastic again, Larry. Uh, the quality of the cattle was good. It makes our job so much easier when a customer comes in and smiles and said, that sale was good. He said, I'm going to go see if there's some more out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the last couple of weeks, the same guys keep coming in. I said, you bring some more. He says, why wouldn't you not go catch a few more? It's been really nice here lately. Ended up with a little over 500 head, uh, those good two three hundred pound steers dollar thirty four to dollar seventy eight three to four weights dollar forty five to a dollar ninety four four to five weights dollar forty two to a dollar ninety four five to six weights dollar twenty seven to a dollar sixty six six to seven weights dollar twenty six to a dollar fifty eight and some of those good seven to eight hundred pound steers dollar twenty one to a dollar forty nine you go on the heifer maids two to three weight heifers dollar forty one to a dollar eighty six three to four weights dollar thirty eight to a dollar seventy four four to five weights dollar thirty seven to a dollar sixty six five to six weight heifers dollar twenty four to a dollar fifty five six to seven weight heifers, dollar twenty-eight to a dollar thirty-six. Top end of the Packer cows bring ninety cents today. Best bull brought a dollar. 
and didn't have many pairs. Uh, they brought from 875 to 1300. Sheep and goat market, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, next week's the peak of the holiday. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think they're going to cheap them up a little bit next week. But those good nannies brought from 200 to $345. Kids brought from 320 to $4. And when you get to the door per use, they brought from 120 to $230 with those lambs bringing from 250 to 280 Good deal. Well, we'll look forward to a sale next week. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Give us a call at 830-379-9955 or you can call me on my cell phone at 830-305-0652. Neighbor, that was Brian Lensman from Seguin Cattle Company. Sell sheep and goats and cattle on Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening, Texas Neighbors. To Walk in the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. Finished higher to wrap up the week Friday, August up $1.35 at $105.65. October hogs up $1.35 at $90.75. Class 3 milk was lower. August milk down 21 cents, $16.77, 100 weight. The cotton market closed higher on Friday. We've been seeing talk all throughout the week of traders thinking we've got a bit too much rain on the cotton crop. We've gotten rain all the way from West Texas out to the East Coast, and they're thinking it may be just a little too much rain, and so that is causing prices to rise. We finished with the October contract back above 90 cents. It was up 86 points, 90.70 cents. December cotton up 88 closing at 89.93. The corn market putting in a lower close. September corn down 8 and a quarter, 556. December corn down 4 and a quarter, 552 a bushel. We've seen good strength in the wheat market all week long. It started back on Monday with a very bullish report from USDA, and we've seen the prices climb for the past week. September Kansas City wheat up 11 and a quarter, 651 and a half. September Chicago wheat up 20 and a half. 692 and a half. Rough rice higher. September up one and a half, 1323 a hundredweight. November soybeans up 11 and three quarters, 1391 and three quarters. August soybean meal up 50 cents, 363.20 a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas up 7 cents, 368. August crude oil unchanged, 71.65 a barrel. The financial markets lower on Friday. The Dow down 292 points. 34,693. The NASDAQ down 111 at 14,431. The S&P down 31 points, 4,328. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.